I've probably come on this podcast. How long have I been doing this? Probably two, maybe three years now. Guys, we're aging out here. Three years. That puts us in the top 1% of just amount of times we've done a podcast. We've probably done, let's say, 52 weeks in a year, a few weeks missed here or there, 45 weeks every year. Probably about 150 podcasts, which is, or episodes, not podcasts, episodes, which is pretty good. And I will come on here after every big game, every Super Bowl, and say the same thing. Promise you. Monday should be a holiday. I mean, if we're not going to move it to Saturday, Super Bowl Saturday, which I'm all in favor for. I know a lot of the players don't want to do that. I don't know why. I guess Sundays, they just kind of have a proclivity for Super Bowl Sunday, whatever. But Monday should just be a holiday. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's just not have to go to work on Monday. It's a big day for a lot of people. Even if you don't love, especially now, I mean, with all the Swifties that are coming in, becoming football fans, their team is now in this, was in the Super Bowl. Uh, they won also. You got it. You got it. We got it. There's a lot of people partying. There's a lot of stuff going on. We got to take the Monday off. Let's just make it a holiday. You know, here's the thing too. It's an election year. Okay. You want to know how you're going to get votes if you're an elector, if you're some sort of politician running for office. Say, just run on the basis that, hey, I mean, maybe not one of your main priorities, but one of your uh, one of the things you want to get done. You can just say this in your statement. The post the Monday after Super Bowl will be a holiday. I, I would probably vote for you. I would probably vote for you because, you know what? That's a good thing to run on. I agree. It should absolutely be a holiday. I hate coming to work on the Monday after the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. I don't even do a whole lot, but there's a lot that happens in that game. There's a lot that there's they're just blasting you with so much stuff that it's hard to take all in. And I would say most people uh, are partying, may, maybe not most people, but a decent a decent amount of people are partying for the Super Bowl. They're excited. Uh, it's, even if it's not their team, it's a party affair. It's close. It's basically it feels like New Year's, to be honest with you. It's it's in the same level of, you know, how important it is as New Year's is. It might as well. The year might as well flip. Once Super Bowl happens, there's Super Bowl Sunday, which is technically New Year's Eve and then Super Bowl day or Super Bowl post Super Bowl day, um, which is basically New Year's Day where nobody really does anything on New Year's Day. You know, it's just New Year's Day. Everybody was recover is everybody's recovering from the New Year's Eve, not really doing anything on New Year's Day. That's pretty much what Super Bowl Sunday is. Everybody's partying for Super Bowl Sunday, having a blast, watching the most important entertainment product that the country puts out the entire year. You can look at all the ratings for every Super Bowl that there ever has been from the 1980s on, and you'll see that it's the most watched thing that America puts together in terms of entertainment product every single year. Let's just uh, let's just make the day after basically our New Year's Day. Okay, we can just we should just remake the calendar and make that Super Bowl this Monday the new year. Like it's just the new year. Even if you don't watch football, you know the Super Bowl is going on. Even if you don't know the teams. You know what's going on. It's kind of like New Year's. You know, you just, it's happening. I'm not really celebrating, but uh, I know it's happening. It's kind of how it works. It's it's New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is Super Bowl, and then New Year's Day is the day after the Super Bowl. Let's just make it a holiday. I, I don't want to... It's just not a fun day. The Monday after Super Bowl is not a fun day. Or we can just move it to Saturday. That would be great. That would be even better. I'd rather just have it moved to Saturday, but I don't think that's going to happen. And you know what? If you're a politician out there, just make the promise because it probably isn't going to pay off in the end. You probably aren't going to keep the promise. That's kind of how politics works. If you're making a promise, make the promise of we're making the, the day after the Super Bowl a holiday. You'll probably get my vote, to be honest with you. If you push for that, you'll probably get my vote. Um, one thing I want to also talk about really quickly uh, before we get into 
the Super Bowl coverage. That's all it is today, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about anything else. Uh, we could talk NBA, but I don't want to talk NBA. We're going to talk about that probably a little bit more next week now that the NFL season is over. We're going to talk straight Super Bowl. That's all we're talking about. The internet. It's a glorious big thing. The World Wide Web. It's everywhere. It's all around us. It's flying all around us. There's packets of internet flying over our heads, through our bodies, whatever. It's all over the place, okay? If there's one thing the internet has ruined, which... One thing is probably a low, a low ball. There's probably numerous things that the internet has ruined, but I will say that one thing that kind of bothers me, especially around Super Bowl Sunday, is the internet has kind of ruined the spontaneity of some Super Bowl ads, like that Paramount ad, uh, throw the child Paramount ad that came out like two weeks ago. Like we saw that ad two weeks ago and it was one of the ads in the Super Bowl. If you're somebody that's kind of like inherently online all the time. I, like I am, I don't like to brag. That's not really something to brag about that. I am online like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Most of the day I'm probably online. You've probably seen maybe not a decent majority, but I would say maybe 20% of the ads that showed up on Super Bowl Sunday, you'd already seen before. And that's not the point of Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday, the, what, the for commercials, this is the one chance you get, right? Where everybody is actually going to be paying attention to your commercials. So if you release it early or it gets leaked early or something, people are just going to not watch it when it comes on the Super Bowl because they've already seen it. That's the one shot you got if you're an admin, if you're a television a commercial maker. The one shot you got where you have undivided attention on commercials. For the most part, nobody wants to pay attention to the commercials on television because they're just, they're there and you, you can flip their channels and what have you. But on one day a year, Super Bowl Sunday, you get the one chance where basically everybody that is watching the Super Bowl is going to be going to have undivided attention on the commercials as well. And now with the invention of the internet, some of these, some of these commercials are just posted early and then you'll see them on like mid roll ad breaks on YouTube or something like that. And that just takes the fun out of it, you know? And then it's like, okay, well I know this ad is going to be coming cause it's different than the ads I've seen the previous, whatever, seven months that I've been watching, whatever it is that I'm watching. This Michelob Ultra ad has showed up 14 times since I've had my YouTube turned on. And I know it's going to be showing up on the Super Bowl. I'm not going to watch this ad. And that's kind of like just annoying because I just, I want to see it first at the Super Bowl. And then I can get like a good gauge of the actual ad. If it shows up beforehand, I'm just going to skip it. You know, then it shows up again. And I'm like, okay, I've seen this already numerous times. I don't want to see it again. And that kind of like sways my argument for if it's a good ad or not. And on most of them, the, the Paramount, the Paramount throw the child ad is pretty funny. But after you've seen it once, just like with every other television commercial ad you're like okay i get it i don't need this to keep going whatever and that's why i think like most of the super bowl ads are kind of one-offs there's some of them that will continue going for you know the near future but not very long but for like a decent amount of time afterwards but for the most part they're kind of one-offs like they do it for the super bowl and then they move on to like regular regular advertising uh, and we'll see how many of them end up doing that but just the fact that they're posted like pre pre-Super Bowl on YouTube or whatever it is. just It's like, uh, you know, you're defeating the point of what the Super Bowl is all about. It's supposed to be spontaneous. Hey, look, a new ad you've never seen before. If they're showing up on YouTube, you know, YouTube clips or, you know, already showing up on other TV stations or anything like that before the Super Bowl even happens, why would I watch it during the Super Bowl? The the moment where more than, more than uh, probably half America, half of America, that's probably too much, but, you know, a little under half of America is watching commercials. Why would, why would you have that go beforehand? But I, anyways, I, I just, it's just, it's just a rant, you know, that's one of the low, that's one of the low lights. Other than that, it's a pretty good Super Bowl, pretty good Super Bowl all around. We're going to start with top five Super Bowl ads. You guys know what it is. Been here before. 
you know I do this. We count down the Super Bowl ads. It's a whole entertainment factor, okay? It, it's not just the game we're talking about. It's everything that happened in the game, commercials, halftime show. It's an event, ladies and gentlemen. It's a full-on event, so we're going to rank Super Bowl ads. Let's start. Top five. We're going to start with OLI, outside looking in. Uh, the DoorDash ad I thought was pretty good. It was a promo code that they released. I don't know if the actual promo code works, but very smart by them. Basically challenging the rest of the internet slash world to remember this promo code that they're giving you that is ex excruciatingly long. And if you put this promo code in, you get a, like you know, whatever, a percentage off of whatever other ads were running during the Super Bowl that are uh, items you can purchase from DoorDash or something like that. That's what they said. Um, but it's like a really, really long code that they read throughout the throughout the ad and you basically had to remember all of it and then paste it into the promo code area. I don't know if it actually works or not. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it would be weird if they did all that and then the promo code didn't end up working. So that was a smart ad. I like that. You're basically challenging the people that are watching to try to do this, remember this promo code and you can go and, uh, or at least copy it down or whatever. And then you can go and use it and maybe get some, some stuff off. It gets DoorDash, uh, you know, uh, some, some business as well as getting the customers a promo code to use when they're actually purchasing stuff. Very smart and very well done by DoorDash. It's OLI because it's not very interesting. You know, it's just a promo code they're reading off for the entire ad, you know, pretty cool. Um, and then the other OLI that I have on here, Disney plus the well said one, very simple, just words on the on a white background, but they're all words from very, very famous Disney product, now Disney product movies that everybody knows and loves. I found myself watching this ad and kind of saying the the script, the lines uh, in the characters' voices. I thought that was really cool, very smart, very simple. Probably it cost them $14 million to do it and probably not a lot of time to actually, or it cost them $14 million to put it in the Super Bowl, but not a lot of time to actually create it and put it um, put it together. So very smart, very well done by Disney. I knew exactly what this was going towards. Once I saw the first couple of quotes, I was like, okay, this is a Disney. Very smart, easy, well done by Disney+. Plus. That's OLI, though. Top five, starting with number five, Pluto TV, Couch Potatoes. Very funny. I liked it. Uh, it was maybe too, too on the head, too much of a... Uh, too much of a nail on the head, you know? Uh, I think some people maybe felt a little uncomfortable with it because they're like, wow, this is maybe a, a very internal look at what we're creating in not just America, but as society in general, just couch potatoes who are binging shows over and over and over and over again. But the fact that Pluto TV is doing it, it's kind of funny. It's not like looking down on you. It's more like, yeah, go ahead and do this. It's okay. We farm these people. Kind of funny. Well done by Pluto TV. I thought it was a good one. Comedic, well done. If you're going to get to me, you're going to get the comedy. That's what I want. I want good comedy. And uh, the rest of these, you'll see that is the pattern for the rest of them. Number four, Michael Sarah's Sarah V. Uh, it's a skincare brand. Very funny. Felt kind of weird for Michael Sarah. But Michael Sarah, I don't know if he's ever playing a character or if this is actually who he is as a person. I never, like, he's one of the people that I have no idea. If I ever met him in person, which I probably never will, but if I ever met him in person, I would have no idea what I'm going to get out of him. And they kind of capitalized that on this ad, on the Sarah V ad. And I think that was very well done. Uh, it was smart um, and pretty funny as well. So good job by uh, Sarah V and Michael Sarah. Good actor. Good actor. I also just don't know if I ever saw him at a bar or anything. No idea what type of personality I'm going to get out of Michael Sarah. It's one of the great mysteries to me. Who is Michael Sarah? Number three. The Paramount Plus throw the child at. Very funny, well-written. Creed showing up out of nowhere, capitalizing on a topical subject, which was Creed during the World Series. Obviously, you know, maybe the, the, the internet forgets very quickly, but Creed, for whatever reason, is living on uh, this post-concert post, post uh, concert 
and like popularity uh, area where they're kind of just seen as more of a comedic effect because of their Thanksgiving halftime show the from a long time ago. The Rangers using them as sort of a um, a rallying cry for the Rangers to go on to win the World Series. Uh, and uh, Paramount Plus capitalized on that as well and said, hey, you know what? We'll just throw you in here and we'll have you start uh, start singing. And uh, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, the knighted man himself is very funny. Honestly, Patrick Stewart, underrated actor. He's a very underrated actor. He's very well in basically everything he does, and he's honestly underratedly funny as well. Very funny. Drew Barrymore is good in it. It's Chatua, kind of, you know, maybe a little dry, but a little bit of acting chops in there. He's like, I'm not going to throw the child. Very funny. Just a good ad. I liked it. Well done by Paramount+. Plus. You get what they were kind of selling, but it kind of got away from the point it felt like as well, but still, still, a, very good, uh, still a very good advertisement. Number two. The NFL, they just don't stop winning. Their Sunday ticket ad, very funny. Uh, with the Eagles, Seahawks, the Falcons, I think, were in there as well. It's a migration ad. It shows them all flapping their air, their their wings, quote-unquote, and migrating somewhere else because the football season is over. And it's basically saying, hey, it's never too early to see uh, to purchase Sunday ticket or whatever. Very smart, very funny ad. Seeing the Eagles player, I mean, I don't think they were actually Eagles players, but people suited up in Eagles uniforms, flapping their wings around and flying through the sky and migrating. That was pretty funny. And it caught, I think they even, I think they got... I could be crazy here, but I think they had a famous Seahawks player um, like somebody on the current roster was actually in the ad. It may have been Geno Smith. It may have been Tyler Lockett. I, I didn't see who it was exactly, and I could be co- completely wrong about this, but they did do a thing where they zoomed in the camera on this one particular Seahawks player. I didn't see the number on him, though, so I couldn't tell if it was Geno Smith or if it was Tyler Lockett or somebody else. Um and then, yeah, and then they he flew away and migrated again. It was really funny. That was a, it was a good ad by Sunday Ticket. Well done. Sunday Ticket's kind of been, the NFL and Sunday Ticket have kind of had some pretty good uh, some pretty good runs with their advertising campaigns here recently, especially with since they partnered with YouTube TV. It's been, it's been pretty well done. And then number one, my favorite thing, because everybody, I think, does it. Um, one of my favorite uh, actors, and then posts, not even just actor, but impressions that are created from this actor, the BMW ad talking like walking. I thought that was a really funny ad. Everybody's seeing Christopher Walken. They're meeting him in the street or they're handing him a coffee and they all trying to do the, the Christopher Walken impression. That was fantastic because it really, I think captures something that everybody in America does whenever you see Christopher Walken or if you see a favorite, uh, famous Christopher Walken scene or anything like that, you try to mimic it. And that's great. And that's very well capitalized by BMW. Again, didn't exactly know what they were selling, to be honest with you, uh, other than a car. Obviously, it's BMW. This kind of goes with a lot of car ads. They do something just completely different from what a car ad, I would imagine, normally goes with. Um, but this one worked well. It was just Christopher Walken. And then guess what? It's a BMW ad. Sure. Like, if you ask most people what that ad was actually about, I, I doubt, and me included, if you would have told me that was a BMW ad, I'd be like, oh, Okay. Sure. All right. But that's not really why anybody's there. They're there for the actual punchline, which is everybody just doing Christopher Walken impressions, which is great because everybody does Christopher Walken impressions. It's hilarious. I'm not going to do it on air because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass myself on this podcast by myself. There's nothing more cringy than me trying to make other people laugh who aren't here by doing a Christopher Walken impression. That's not great. It's not going to sound good. And uh, I don't want to do it. So, but everybody else doing it, they actually did pretty good. I want to know in the auditions for that were they just trying to find people who did like decent Christopher Walken impressions because if that's the case that's really funny and that's well done by BMW so that's my number one it's the one I'm going to remember the most 
Christopher Walken talking like Walken. Well done. It's not, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a, a, a generational ad or anything like that. We still have those ads that we see every now and again that are like uh, former Super Bowl ads that are really good that everybody remembers. Um, I don't think it's that good, but uh, it's the best one of the Super Bowl this year. So congrats to BMW. You get the official weekend sports wrap podcast. Uh, best Super Bowl ad award of the year. It's a little wordy, but we'll work on that later on. Now, for the worst stats, let's talk about the worst stats. Um, number one, well, I don't have a top five of this. I'm just, I'm just naming them off. Volkswagen uh, started off weird. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. This one started off a little bit weird. Uh, it started off, hey, late 1949, we're coming off across the Pacific, or the Pacific, the Atlantic, and dropping off a Volkswagen bug in New York City, presumably, or something like that. It's weird uh, that they start there, to be honest with you, uh, because then you kind of are like, what were, uh, what was Volkswagen doing before that time? Go ahead and Google it. Uh, it's not great. Not a, not great. Pre-1949, which is what it says. Uh, we don't, they're not going to talk about that, but uh, they weren't up to great stuff pre-1949. Uh, if you're somebody that knows a, just a tiny bit of history, you know what I'm referring to. They were not on the good side in World War II. Obviously, Volkswagen, a German company. You get what I'm going at. So it's kind of just weird. They're like, hey, 1949. This is kind of where it started in America. But that's not necessarily true, Volkswagen. Come on. Like, it maybe started in America there. But that's not when everything started. Like, uh, there were there were people driving Volkswagen. I can't remember what the name of the car was that was in World War II. But um, uh, the Volkswagen car that the Germans used in World War II. But uh, they were they were making uh, cars for the bad guys in, uh, in, the, in the 1940s. So, you know, kind of makes you... Take a step back and look at the full picture. You know what I mean? Uh, Google Pixel. This one, I didn't dislike the message or anything like that. I think it was a good message. It's a cool uh, piece. Basically, it's a it's a piece of technology on the Google Pixel phones where if you are have struggle, you know, struggle with eyesight or something like that, um, the Pixel can be, if you pull out your camera, the Pixel can basically tell you if you're in frame or not and what have you, and then you can take the picture. Uh, the only problem, cool piece of technology, very cool, very interesting to see how it gets implemented into the Pixel. But the only problem I have with this ad is that a lot of these advertisement or a lot of this entire advertisement, the person who was using the phone that needed it because they had, you know, a, a bad eye, bad eyesight or something like that, uh, or were blind in one eye or whatever, a lot of these, a lot of that, those pictures that he was taking, there was another person in the picture. So it's like, we could do it this way, or the other person could just take the picture, you know, without presumably the bad eyesight and just take the selfie, right? Like, am I, am I thinking, am, am I being too mean there? I don't think I am, but if there's like two people in here, one person with good eyesight, the other person with bad eyesight, why isn't the other person with the good eyesight just take the picture? And then you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about the, the on-screen narrator correcting the the framing or anything, you know, and then they could, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's coming off incorrectly. I don't want it to sound mean. It just didn't, I think it's a cool piece of product. I think it's a very cool software uh, implementation. It just was kind of weird how they were framing it in the, the grand scheme of things. I don't know. It was just kind of an odd ad. I don't know. A cool, cool piece of property though. I mean, Pixel, Google, it's Google. I mean, they can they'd throw whatever at the wall and uh, basically see what sticks. And if it doesn't stick, they'll just incorporate it into something else. So still kind of a, kind of a cool piece of property. I just, the ad was kind of confusing to me. Uh, oh my Temu. Holy, holy goodness. Uh, Temu is basically the Chinese version of um, eBay, but a more sketchier somehow. That's what Temu is. Uh, and they bought a lot of advertising space in the Super Bowl. Holy goodness. Uh, and then they did, 
a lot of they bought a lot of space in the advertising market or in in the Super Bowl, uh, but they did not purchase an advertising agency or anything like that because they clearly did not get what um, the Super Bowl is for. Right, you're, you're supposed to bring out all the stops for the Super Bowl. You're supposed to bring out your most creative idea. Supposed to make people stick. And Temu, it does do that, but in the wrong way. Like, I never want to shop on Temu because I saw the stupid ad four times during the Super Bowl and it did not make me want to go shop on Temu. It was just awful. It was terrible. I don't want to see it again. Please, Temu, please never let me see that ad again. I don't want to see it. I'm not going to shop there. Okay, it's too sketchy. No, thank you. Chinese company might steal my information, sell it to other properties. They probably already do that, but whatever. Temu, please leave me alone. Played. Four times, but it felt like 11,000 times compared to everything else that was around it. Um, and then finally, this might make people angry. And I apologize uh, if it does, but they were odd. The He Gets Us ads, um, the Jesus Gets Us ads, uh, they were odd. Especially the one. The one ad that was um, washing of the feet, which is something that is very important in the Bible. I'm not somebody who is very well read up on the old good book, if you will. Um, I'm not the most well versed in the old good book. But that's like seems like the a weird one of the things that Jesus did to focus on for an entire 60 second advertisement. Just seeing other people wash other people's feet for the whole 60 seconds. And not to mention, I believe most of them were AI images. I don't know that for sure, but it feels like if you go and watch the ad back, it feels like most of them were just AI images. And then they had people go in and kind of clean up the discrepancies of the weird things. I mean, not all the weird things, but some of the weird things in the AI images, you know what I mean? Uh, and that was just a weird ad. And the other thing is that I find really funny. These, he gets us ads, Jesus, the humble carpenter from Nazareth. I don't know if he would spend $28 million on advertising in the biggest entertainment product in America. I don't think he would do that. I don't know him. Not familiar with his game. Not familiar with Jesus. I'm not going to say I know him. But given what we do know from the old good book, I don't know if that's something we would do. Maybe take that $28 million and give it to a shelter or something like that. I don't know if he would invest that kind of money, $28 million, into advertising i just don't i mean i just kind of, it kind of feels weird right and then like a whole 60 second thing of feet man like i could do without that like let's just let's just chill with all that um so yeah advertisements so many mediocre ones some bad ones five seven really good ones that made the top five so those were the ads in my opinion that were good that were great uh and some that were bad that's how it works welcome to the super bowl let's talk not to the game yet halftime show Hi, it's Kathleen and Jack from 307 Real Estate. If you're thinking of buying a property in the near future, the first thing you should do is call your banker or a home loan company and get pre-qualified. That way you'll know in advance how much you can borrow for your dream home. Great advice, Kathleen. There's nothing worse than finding that perfect home and then finding out you don't qualify. Once qualified, give us a call and we can start looking for that perfect home. We're a Wyoming-based company and here for you, Wyoming. Call Kathleen and Jack at 307 Real Estate, 307-763-1249. You're in heaven living in 307. Usher. Oh, so I think people for the most part kind of underestimate Usher. They underestimate how many bangers that dude has put out over a large amount of time. 
to, what is it, 2024? Probably close to 20 years he's been doing this. Maybe even longer than that. Almost 25 years he's been he's been doing the dang thing. Now he has a residency in Vegas, and he's just got banger after banger after banger after banger. I was one of those people that were a little hesitant once they announced Usher uh, as the Super Bowl halftime performer. I was like, I don't know if this really fits the vibe that I think of when I think of Super Bowl halftime shows, because he is a pretty hardcore R&B singer. He doesn't do a lot of you know, um, like hip hop or anything like that, but he's in, he is a pretty, uh, a, a very good R and B singer. Um, but came out there, put on a show and that's, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have doubted him. Cause if there's one thing Usher knows how to do, it's put on a dang show and he kills it, brought out some great guests. The Alicia keys one. Oh, if I could just get Alicia keys for an entire halftime show, I'd also be very happy because Alicia keys, she has the voice of an angel. I wish we got more of Alicia Keys, to be honest with you. That's probably one of my biggest complaints about this halftime show. One little, uh, a, a little shaky to start. Some of the mic issues were popping up again that plagued like the black eyed peas, which was a historically bad one. Um, but that was mainly due to a lot of microphone problems and whatnot. Uh, and that started kind of popping up a little bit in here, cutting in and out. Uh, so you couldn't actually hear his voice every now and again, but they figured it out. Uh, and I think he blew through his track list or he had too many tracks in his track list. I think if he narrowed it down just a little bit and uh, maybe got a little more focus, cut it in the half, sing more of some of those really, really good R and B songs um, and actually sing them, perform them and whatnot, instead of like blowing through some of them. Those are some of my complaints, but not very many, like kind of minor stuff because he brought out Alicia Keys she absolutely killed it. If I'm Swizz Beats, who happens to be Alicia Keys' husband, maybe a little concerned because Usher, you know, he's Mr. Studio Girl. That's not actually his song. That's a Trey Songs song, but he is, I mean, Usher, he's Mr. Studio Girl as well. I mean, he will. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe Swizz Beats and and uh, and and Alicia Keys had a conversation. They're like, look, this is going to get freaky because it's a Super Bowl halftime show. We're throwing all the stops out. Man, that, that's the case. Then who cares? You know, they agreed to it. Who cares? Um... But yeah, Alicia Keys was great. Her on the piano, her singing, just beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. He also brought out her, H-E-R, if you are unfamiliar, and she just shredded, absolutely shredded the guitar solo. Uh, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Her, if you are unfamiliar with her, look her up. Uh, no pun intended. Look her up. She is one of the best just pure musicians working in music right now. And guess what? She is a month younger than I am. Just makes me throw up every time I see it. She was born in June 97. I was born in July 97. And she comes out of the Super Bowl, just absolutely shreds a guitar solo, and then goes back. It's like it's nothing. She's a beautiful singer as well. Just one of the absolute, like, icons of the industry in terms of, like, pure musical skill. She's so, so talented. Uh, and I would like to see her in a, in a halftime show as well. No pun intended again. Like, it's tough with the name. Uh, her and Alicia Keys in a, in a halftime performance together. Dude, sign me up. I would be all over that. I would be all over that. I would be singing along because I'm singing along to Alicia Keys. She killed it. Her killed it. Little John came on and pumped everybody up. I mean, it was great. It was a great show. I missed a, missed a slight opportunity. I thought he was going to bring out Outcast because it kind of felt like a little bit of a recast of Atlanta. Speaking of, the Atlanta halftime show from a few years ago, which um, was the game between the Patriots and the Rams, one of the more forgettable Super Bowls of all time. Um, but... That halftime show in Atlanta, one of the icons of R&B in terms of locations, locales, has birthed incredible artists like Big Boy, Andre 3000, both came together to make up Outkast, Usher, Childish Gambino, CeeLo Green, Ludacris, Lil Jon, and do you know who they brought out in the Atlanta Super Bowl as their Super Bowl halftime show? 
All those people and more, by the way, that's just like a very small amount. Do you know who they brought out the halftime show in Atlanta? Just it, the more it gets away from the Atlanta halftime show, the more I'm like, wow, this was a disgrace. They brought out Maroon 5. And granted, Maroon 5 is not a bad band. I'm not saying they're bad or anything like that. But they had such a massive opportunity for Atlanta to be that Super Bowl, to be huge beacon for hip-hop, for R&B, because that's what Atlanta is. Atlanta is known for southern the, the southern pride of R&B and hip-hop and whatnot. And they brought out Maroon 5. And Maroon 5 did bring out Outkast. I mean, fair enough. I would have loved to see them as their own solo act or Outkast being the group and then Outkast bringing out Usher, Lil Jon, Ludacris, you know, the whole list of very, very famous hip-hop and R&B singers from Atlanta, but, you know, whatever. That's either here or there. That was years ago. It just The more we get away from the Atlanta halftime show from that, from however long ago it was, the more I'm, the more I'm like, wow, they totally just missed the mark on this one. They did just missed the mark entirely on this one. Um, but yeah, the one for this year, Las Vegas usher killed it and brought in people from Atlanta that were great musicians in Atlanta from Atlanta. He brought the, a, I think he said he brought the a to the LV or whatever it was at the very end, which was cool. Very cool of usher. Uh, and, uh, they missed an opportunity to bring him, make him the, the actual star of the halftime show in Atlanta, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the actual football game now, huh? Let's talk some football. Whether it's installing a new system or taking care of what you have, there's a lot to consider when it comes to heating and cooling your home or small business, and that's where Alpine Climate Control excels. See more about the systems they install and service, and even schedule a consultation online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. You can also stop by and see their showroom with all working models of gas fireplaces, pellet stoves, pizza ovens, and more. Alpine Climate Control, just north of Sheridan College at 2705 Coffee Avenue in Sheridan. So the game itself, very good game. Well played, well, not, maybe not well played for about three quarters of this game. It wasn't the most beautiful game. But honestly, the more of football that I see, just like what happens in football, the better the game feels like to me. I want to see everything happen. Fumbles, interceptions, muffed kicks, the whole nine yards. Just It should be a celebration of football, and that's part of football. That's what makes football football. The mistakes are what makes football football i want to see it all from the fumbles to the interceptions to the what have you just the stuff that makes it sloppy as well the penalties i don't see a ton of penalties but penalties make football football as well okay that's just part of the game and it should be a celebration of everything that makes football what it is which is can you guess it football um so it was not the prettiest of games and that's okay i'm okay with that that's what football is all about but starting off in this game san francisco just came out, dominated both sides of the football in terms of offensive line, defensive line. I talked about it a little bit last week as the, on the preview. I thought this game was going to have to be won. The big advantage for the 49ers, in my opinion, um, more than anything coming into this game, was the fact that their defensive line was maybe down and out better all the way through than the Chiefs 49. It kind of reminded me a little bit of that game between the Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that Super Bowl game not too long ago. I didn't think it was going to turn out that way because, you know, one team had Tom Brady, the other did not. Um, but I did think there was that sort of advantage that the San Francisco 49ers had with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Chase Young on the defensive line. And it looked like it was kind of going to turn out to that way because they were dominating. The defensive line was dominating uh, the first half of this game against the Chiefs. 
Chiefs just could not, or Patrick Mahomes could not uh, find any sort of comfort level. They were containing him on the outside as well, so he could not scramble up the middle or outside that would, um, and the scramble situation that Patrick Mahomes gets into where he kind of scrambles outside and, and, and gets into more open space on the outside. And from there, he can kind of create uh, open, open receivers and whatnot. And that is when he is at his absolute best. Uh, and for the most part, the 49ers absolutely contained that in the first half. They were not allowing him to outs- to escape from the pocket, either regardless if it was up the middle or if it was the outside where he could, again, maneuver those receivers into open areas. Um, and that was causing him to have problems. I think they sacked him two or three times in the first half alone. Uh, and at the very least, they were pressuring him a ton uh, with those guys on the outside and Bosa and Chase Young. And Chase Young had a pretty good first half as well. He was pressuring a lot and got a, I think he got a sack himself as well. Uh, but the guys in the middle also keeping rushing lane integrity, not allowing that hole to open up for Patrick Mahomes to run up the middle and scramble for a few yards as well uh, was very well done by the 49ers. It was very well schemed out. Uh, and then on the offensive side of the ball, the 49ers were opening up huge lanes for Christian McCaffrey. It was very well schemed uh, for that offensive line, which was another area where I think the offensive line for the Niners, for the most part, was outside of one guy in, in uh, I keep wanting to call him Frank Clark. He's not Frank Clark. I don't know why I want to keep doing it. Chris Jones. Chris Jones, uh, who is one of the better defensive tackles, especially pass rushing the football. He can play edge and inside. Um, but outside of, outside of Chris Jones, he, uh, the, the, that 49ers offensive line is better than basically everybody on the defensive line of Kansas city. Um, and they were showing it again early in this game with just opening huge lanes for Christian McCaffrey. They were moving the line a lot in those zone raid, those zone read, uh, zone read zone, uh, zone running schemes that Christian McCaffrey kind of thrives on, uh, finding those open holes and busting open for a big yardage. And he was having a very, very, yeah, a totally uh, very, very good game as the offensive player of the year came in, dominated receiving the ball and it was very, very effective running the football as well. So it was very good for them. They came out just firing in all cylinders, uh, on both sides of the, the line. I thought it was going to be the biggest difference maker. And I thought, you know, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's impossible to count Patrick Mahomes out and that team out, especially when they go down 10, because they have been there before, clearly. Um, but I did think that there was a lot of um, things that were going more 40, uh, more San Francisco's way, especially coming out of the half as well, because uh, Patrick Mahomes throws the interception on the first drive out of halftime. And I thought the 49ers could have maybe not broken it open, but maybe gotten enough uh, space in between uh, both the between the the Chiefs and the 49ers in terms of a lead that they could have held on to it because their defense was playing uh, well enough, but didn't end up doing that. The offense was playing well enough, but they could not end up like they started very well and then cooled off a little bit towards the back end of drives and they were not able to finish drives with points very often other than field goals and against a team like the Chiefs, they will they will haunt you like that. If you cannot put them down uh, with anything outside of field goals, they will come back and they will haunt you. That is that is the Chiefs' way. That is how they win, especially in these games. That's all they've done. They've gone down 10 and then come back and win the, won the game. That's how they've won all of their Super Bowls over the last four years, has gone down 10, come back to win the game. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, he does some incredible work on scripted plays. I think there is not, other than maybe the other guy on the other sideline, there's maybe not a better coach in terms of writing out scripts for plays in the first half and the beginning of second halves. Um, and he does that very well for Brock Purdy outside of that. They kind of fell apart a little bit, but during the scripted area, 
Per, uh, Brett Purdy was near perfect, 8 for 10, 105 yards in the first quarter. They don't script out the whole first quarter, obviously, but for most of it, that's a lot of scripted plays. And uh, 8 eight for 10, 105 yards, 10 for 15 in the first half for 123 yards was the total. Um, but then after that, come out the second half, and he finishes 9 for 17, 82 yards in the second half. Uh, he does have a touchdown in the second half, but overall, just a, not as good of a performance in the second half than in the first half. He, he was playing kind of, kind of, you know, uh, toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes in that first half. Some would say he's probably playing a little bit better than Patrick Mahomes in that first half. Um, but again, Shanahan, Shanahan, very, very, very good at scripting out those plays and creating open areas where Brock Purdy only has to make that one or two reads and he's got open people. Um, and I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from Brock Purdy or anything like that. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo excelled at that as well. When he was quarterback for the Niners, he's very good at reading those scripted plays. Brock Purdy's better at it, in my opinion, than Jimmy Garoppolo, just like, pretty much everything else that uh, Brett Purdy does. I do think he's a, a good quarterback, but again, Shanahan has a, an offense that he, th- he uses his abilities like a butterfly knife when it comes to scheming stuff like that open. And he is very, very good at it. Very skilled. Most people will use it not as skillfully as he does um, with his, uh, with his, uh, his weapons that he has at his disposal on that offense. So Shanahan, very good at it. He does again, fall apart a little bit when it becomes unscripted. Uh, and he kind of has to become more of a game manager, not Brock Purdy. I'm talking about Kyle Shanahan. Uh, he has to be a little bit better at game management. And that was something that did come back to bite him. I thought the, um, holding on to timeouts at the end of the first half was not very smart. He could have possibly stopped Patrick Mahomes, gotten into a situation where the ball back and possibly go down and score points. For whatever reason, he was just totally okay with them, basically running the clock down in their uh, in the 49ers area, closing it out with a field goal to end the half, cutting the Niner lead to just seven uh, instead of you know possibly going down and scoring a field goal again, make it thirteen to three. They go back up ten with Kansas City getting the ball in the second half. Just didn't really make any sense to me. I don't know why he wasn't using his timeouts. You don't get him in the second half. That's something that should be the motto for Shanahan. You don't get those timeouts in the second half. And that is a problem that he sometimes runs into where he will hold on to timeouts for the whole half. And he ends up not using them, obviously. And again, you don't get him in the second half. Uh, and then also the overtime decision. I, he, he made the ruling uh, at the press conference afterwards that he made that decision because um, you get the ball First, obviously, when he when, when he won the coin toss, he wanted the ball, um, but you get it first, and then also third, uh, in case you go down to score a touchdown, uh, and then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go down to score a touchdown, you get a third with a chance to win the football game. That, to me, is a flawed thought. Um, it doesn't really make any sense to me, because one, you got to think if you don't score a touchdown, you're handing the ball back to Patrick Mahomes who has made his living doing this. I don't know in any scenario why you would want to give Patrick Mahomes the ball with the game on the line at any point. Now, granted, if they took the ball second uh, and Patrick Mahomes had it and the Chiefs had it uh, at first, they go down to score and then you go down to score. Granted, you give Patrick Mahomes the ball back the third time with the chance to win the game as well. But to me, like it's just turned into college football rules where you always take defense first in college football rules, always. Um, and seemingly afterwards as well, uh, players have come out for the 49ers and they didn't understand saying they didn't understand the overtime rules, which is baffling to me. That is baffling to me. I don't know how that can happen in the biggest game uh, on the biggest stage, how you can not understand what the overtime rules are. Uh, the change has been implemented for, 
How long has it been now since that AFC Championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs? In uh, that year, was two years ago, three years ago? The fact that they went into that and they had no idea, um, and it wasn't all of them, obviously, but some of them just didn't have any idea how the overtime rules worked was crazy to me. I, I, that, that blew my mind. That, again, is also something that kind of falls on Shanahan. You have to be able to prepare for that situation as a head coach, even if you are playing in practice, and I'm not going to tell him how to coach, obviously, because he's much better at it than I could ever dream of being. But um, like, look at Andy Reid and the Chiefs. They were practicing those overtime situations during practice. And the fact that they just had 49ers seemingly no idea what the actual overtime rules is crazy to me. In the year 2024, the year of our Lord, the fact that they did not know that was uh, was baffling. I, I didn't understand that. So, yeah, I, 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 this one... To me, it wasn't all on Shanahan. I don't think everything was to blame on Shanahan. That's you. I mean, that's kind of he's become the scapegoat for those situations um, where, you know, he's he's now blown as offensive coordinator to head coach blown leads in Super Bowls, whether he was the Falcons offensive coordinator when the Patriots came back, as well as uh, obviously the head coach for the the Niners when um, the Chiefs came back the first time against them back in 2020, 2019, 2020. There were things that happened in those games that were a lot more. Um, obviously incorrect in terms of play calling and whatnot that fell on Shanahan's shoulders. Whereas in this game, he seemed more level-headed and making the correct decisions up until I think uh, the timeout problems in closing the first half and then the overtime uh, decision, I just didn't really get entirely. I don't think that made a whole lot of sense uh, to me when he was making that decision. So anyways, uh, the other thing, um, Dre Greenlaw, man, I felt so bad for him. They showed the Niners defense running back onto the field and Dre Greenlaw seemingly uh, don't have any confirmed reports, but it seemingly tore his Achilles as he was just running on the field to go play defense. That is so that was heartbreaking because I was like, because I mean, he's somebody that has kind of been the heart and soul for this team outside of Fred Warner. Um, and if there was one area where the Niners were kind of thin, it was that position. It was the linebacker, the inside linebacker guys. Um, and Fred Warner had to come in, take a lot of the load off, as well as uh, the I think he was a rookie linebacker that came in as well. Um, and Dre Greenlaw, man, that's that was that was heartbreaking because that game might go differently if Dre Greenlaw plays in the rest of that game. That was so sad to see. I felt so bad for him because I don't know how you can't. Um, and I'm not saying it is his fault, but if you're him, I can't know. I don't know how you're not in that position and not thinking things could have gone differently if I was still out there. Like that is heartbreaking. And I feel so bad for Dre Greenlaw. Um, and with it happening in the Super Bowl, if it's, if it is a torn Achilles, um, then it seemingly is going to probably keep him out all of next year as well. I would imagine unless there's some sort of, I mean, we've seen Aaron Rodgers basically walking around on the field, not really doing anything, uh, for 12 out of the 16 weeks that he was available. But, um, we'll see how much, if he if he comes back next year at all, we'll see. Because happening at this moment in time, uh, this late in the season is not good for next year's possibilities or next season's possibilities either. So we'll have to see with Dre Greenlaw. Um, as for the Chiefs switching sides here, um, their defense was. I mean, they've kind of been the best part of that team the entire season. Uh, they've been better than the offense all season, uh, the entire year, and in this game. There were certainly a couple of standouts, if you will, uh, starting with Trent McDuffie. Absolutely insane game for Trent McDuffie. He's probably going to get uh, looked over a little bit because he does play a position, uh, a position that's hard to 
analyze for the most part, I think, uh, cornerback, safety, cornerback, uh, defensive back, if you will. Uh, he had an amazing, amazing, amazing game. Uh, he had to stop against the run, a couple of pressures of Brock Purdy, broke up a touchdown pass in the end zone, and one of three pass breakups on the night, limited Debo Samuel to just one catch on six targets. He was unbelievable all night long. One of the, probably one of the best players on the field uh, when that unit was out on uh, on the field as well against that 49ers offense. He was unbelievable. Very, very, very well. I thought he should have won MVP up until the last drive. If the, if the, if the, uh, the chiefs went down and won it on like a big run by Isaiah Pacheco or something, but clearly, I mean, Patrick Mahomes goes perfect and uh, perfect on the final drive. Who else are you going to give it to? Um, but for the most part, Turn Duffy was unbelievable uh, in the backfield or in the back, excuse me, uh, on the back end against Debo Samuel and just was was a, a lock out there uh, on the back end as well. And then Chris Jones does it again. He's unbelievable. Um, if this is his last game as a chief, because he did sign that one year deal, this is going to be something uh, that that is that's going to be a legendary final game uh, for the defensive tackle slash defensive and interior defender, if you will. Came alive, especially in the second half. He was wreaking havoc on more on the more long developing pass plays for the Niners, causing Purdy to try to work under pressure. Finished with six pressures, four hurries, two hits. He broke up, or I guess prevented uh, two seemingly touchdown plays in the second half, where one was to Debo Samuel, who uh, Purdy had wide open on a seam route that he beat that Debo Samuel beat press on. Uh, and he was wide open, and then Purdy overthrew him because he had Chris Jones in his face pressuring him. And then late, the the absolute play of the game uh, that happened also, who the other MVP is, Steve Spagnuolo, they kind of match up here, called the absolute game of his life, disguising a ton of pressure, especially in the second half. He was fantastic in the second half, disguising a ton of pressure that was really confusing Brock Purdy, calling plays that slowed down McCaffrey, uh, loading the box at the start of the second half that really, really slowed down the run game of the 49ers and caused issues for them. Uh, basically limiting the amount that they thought that they could do in the second half with McCaffrey in the backfield. Um, and uh, the call of the game for me, which ties up Chris Jones and Spagnola, absolute call of the game, zero blitz, third and four in overtime at their own eight yard line. Uh, this was when they had the ball first, the 49ers had the ball first. They were driving down seemingly on their way to score touchdown. And then on third and four uh, Purdy, or excuse me, uh, Spagnola calls up a zero blitz gets pressure into Purdy's face and Chris Jones is the first person to break through and gets in his face. I, he had, I, Brandon, uh, Brock Purdy had Brandon. Ayuk clear as uh, I mean, nobody within 15 feet of him in the back of the end zone open for a touchdown. Uh, but the, the pressure was there so quickly that he had to basically just throw the ball away uh, before trying to find Ayuk on the back end. And uh, it was an unbelievable call by Spagnola and Chris Jones, just the, a freak of nature, breaking free and getting into the face of Purdy. It was the call of the night, the biggest play of the night, in my opinion, that granted, uh, that put them into a field goal situation. They kicked the field goal, and then that was in basically the end of the game because uh, the next turn of position, Patrick Mahomes gets the ball, marches down the field, and they uh, they win the football game. So call of the night for me, for Steve Spagnuolo. Spags, he does not get enough credit for how good he is as a defensive coordinator, by the way, either. He's one of the greats, one of the absolute Greatest of all time defensive coordinators and just add another ring to his third ring with the Chiefs and his uh, fourth overall. He won one with the he was the defensive coordinator with the Giants in 2007. And that was the year that uh, the um, Patriots who were undefeated going into that Super Bowl and they ended up beating the Patriots 17 to 14. And if you're able to hold that offense, that New York or New York, that New England offense to just 14 points, the historic uh, New England offense that that was. Uh, and go in and hold them to 14 points. Um, I, that's Hall of Fame worthy already right there. That's Hall of Fame worthy 
right there. And uh, now he's got three other rings with the Kansas City Chiefs to add on to it. So, I mean, what more can you say about old Spags? About old Spags. I think he's one of the one of the absolute greats uh, at the defensive coordinator position and just been doing it forever. Forever, feels like. I think he was a, uh, looking at his, his career trajectory or whatever. He was a defensive assistant coach for the Eagles in 99. That was his first job in the NFL, and he's been here doing it ever since. So Spags deserves it. One of the best in the absolute, uh, in, in the in the Super Bowl era, for sure. For sure, uh, at defensive coordinator. So congrats to the Chiefs. Also, actually, really quickly, not done yet. Uh, their offense, Chiefs offense, uh, they were stagnant in the first half. Not great in the first half, to be honest with you. Things were were keeling over. Keeling over is not the right word. Boiling over. <laughs> not keeling over. Boiling over in the first half. Uh, Kelsey getting after Andrew Reid, scaring the bejesus out of Andy Reid. Uh, just being, just yelling at to Andy Reid, which I think he's kind of got a point there. Isaiah Pacheco had the fumble. Uh, Cal- Travis Kelsey's not in. I think you got to have Kelsey in there to be some sort of detractor in terms of what you're trying to do. Um, you're not as scared of. Noah Gray on the outside as you are of Travis Kelsey if Isaiah Pacheco possibly is getting the ball. You know, I think he's got a point. And I think the point was taken because Travis Kelsey played most of the second half. I don't think he came out very often in the second half. So it scared him. And it was like, okay, all right, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, Travis. I apologize. Um, but they did find things that worked a lot better in the second half and they continued to go back to him. They were countering Isaiah Pacheco a ton, pulling the guards, and those guard, uh, those guard counters worked very well in those situations with Isaiah Pacheco. Behind them, finding open areas, he didn't break a whole lot of huge runs, uh, but he had plenty of runs that were seven, eight yards that put them into great positions on second down uh, that allowed for them to kind of experiment a little bit more with different plays they wanted to do. They had a bunch of mesh concepts that they were running with Travis Kelsey and their tight ends that were finding openings uh, in their zone in uh, in the uh, the 49ers zone areas, and there was a, a lot of tight end passes throughout the the game that were mesh concepts on crossing routes and mesh concepts that were working very well for them. Uh, and then designed runs for, uh, for Patrick Mahomes. This was the big difference maker in the second half for me, uh, was designed runs by Patrick Mahomes, whether it be that triple option that they base seemingly ran on fourth and one in overtime that got close to, I think it was almost 20 yards that Patrick Mahomes ended up keeping, but it was essentially a, 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 a triple option with a read option. And then seemingly a forward pass towards Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage, a very odd play, but I mean, an Andy Reid special, if you will. Uh, and there were plenty of those design runs that Patrick Mahomes running that really got him out into space and created that little extra wrinkle against the 49ers defense. That was hard for them to try to defend. And then they had their corn dog route, their very favorite corn dog route that they've run numerous times in big games where they fake the motion across and then it's not, you know, what hasn't always been McCole Hardman, but they'll have their X receiver fake motion across jet it back outside, have them wide open the flat route that ends up winning them the entire Super Bowl and getting them into the end zone for other Super Bowls as well. They ran it against the Eagles. I think they've ran it against the uh, the 49ers the first time as well. So that is not the first time that they've run that. Uh, it is a favorite of Andy Reid's where he will motion, fake motion across, and then get a wide open route, uh, flat route on the outside for Patrick Mahomes to basically roll out there and throw to and uh, win them football games. And it did this time. Winners in overtime. The Chiefs, 25-22. to 22. And uh, we can no longer deny them anymore. They're one of the best teams with a dynasty uh, back-to-back for the first time in, I think it was 20 years, they said, or something ridiculous like that. Uh, one of the best groupings of collections of talent uh, over years that we've seen recently. Um, and there's no reason to believe that they won't be able to do it again because this was probably the weakest offense that we've seen from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and that Chiefs team. And this time they just land, uh, leaned on the defense and they were able to pull it together. 
and uh, win the Super Bowl once again. We'll see if they can do it again next year, obviously. Um, but, you know, there are some things that you'll have to worry about a little bit more. Free agency, I haven't looked at the contracts or anything like that, obviously. Um, but free agency is something you'll have to worry about. Uh, some offensive line changes, you know, the whole deal. People getting a year older, you know, that's that's something you have to worry about as well. Um, and uh, we'll see if they're able to match it again, go for a three-peat, the first three-peat since that Patriots team in the early 2000s. Um, and, uh, we'll see, we'll see if they can do it next year for the 49ers. There's a little bit more difficult, uh, if they want to come back, reminds me a little bit of the Eagles, uh, two years ago, three, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Uh, or I guess last year, if you will, um, from last year where they were this team that was loaded on both sides of the ball, mainly on defense, a loaded defensive line and whatnot. Um, but some of those guys are going to get a year older. They are, they're not going to have Dre Greenlaw for a decent amount of that time. Some of the extensions are kicking in. They're going to tighten up some cap space. This could be a more difficult run for the 49ers to do again next year. But granted, Kyle Shanahan, one of the absolute best coaches in the NFL, paired with one of the best GMs in the NFL in in John Lynch. Um, and clearly they know how to draft very well as well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're going to be able to maybe find some replacements in the areas where they're going to get free agencies uh, or free agents, free agents. Um, and then some of those extensions will kick in as well. That could cause some problem on the cap uh, and uh, some older guys as well on the offensive line, uh, some older guys on the defensive line and on the defense in general uh, and aging in the NFL, uh, just in sports in general is the ultimate or the, the hardest test, I guess what's the, the adage is uh, father time is undefeated. And that is true for all of us, football, football players, NBA players or accountants. Father time is undefeated and maybe it takes on, it takes it on a little bit earlier in those major professional sports. So we'll see if the 49ers can bounce back, do it better next year. Um, but hey, good NFL season. It's fun to watch. We're going to break a little bit more into the NBA. Uh, I'll do kind of a recap of the first half of the season in the NBA because uh, they're now approaching their all-star break as well. And we're going to have pitchers and catchers reporting, if you can believe it, in, I think it's this week, actually. I think they report this week. So spring training is not very far away either. So the calendar keeps rolling, ladies and gentlemen. I do believe... We should start the new calendar like today. That's how it should work. But, you know, I, I don't I don't make up the count. OK, that's not my job. So anyways, that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap things up for me. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for tuning in all NFL season long. Uh, we will be back next week. Going to be switching it up a little bit. We'll be talking some more NBA and whatnot. Um, but uh, for the whole NFL season, I thank you very much for, for tuning in. Even if uh, you didn't love it, if you maybe just liked it, you didn't love it. I appreciate you tuning in regardless. Thank you very much. So we'll be back next week uh, talking more NBA and maybe some MLB. We'll see. We'll see what's going on in the world of sports. Thank you guys very much for tuning in uh, for the big game recap wrap up and uh, all season long. Appreciate it very much. We'll see you next week. I've been your host, James Timberlake. You've been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. <laughs>